Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Shred Stakes Podcast. Glad you guys can join us. This is a pretty early start for me, and I'm really glad, again, that you guys are able to join us on this Tuesday. And I want to just obviously recap what happened last night in the NBA, some crazy stuff that obviously happened last night. The Nuggets won, Raptors won, the Celtics won, and the Clippers won in those four games that happened in the first night of the playoffs. And basically what I wanted to get into a little bit today was what I took away from each game because I think that's crucial, but I think it's also the fact that I also want to explain maybe why certain teams struggled and not just say generic things such as the guy wasn't tough or he wasn't clutch or what stuff like that. But I want to get into the big game that happened last night and that was between the Clippers and the Mavericks. So the Clippers won 118 to 110. Luka Doncic had 42 points, seven rebounds, nine assists, but he also had 11 turnovers. Kawhi Leonard had 29 points. Paul George had 27. And for the Mavericks, you had Porzingis with 14 points. Seth Curry gave you 14. And basically what I found from these games was a simple thing. One, the refs were a little too harsh and a little too emotional, I felt, with the Porzingis situation. Now, an air punch in the first one, I watched the game. I really didn't think that was anything. I think that's a normal player reaction to a call that really should have been a block. And when it was, you watch the replay, he didn't really have any sort of follow through on the guy. And that's why I don't like the rule. He hit the ball first. So that should have been a foul, uh, not called. So that's kind of where I go with there. And I guess another thing I wanted to get into quickly was the fact that Luka Doncic had 42 points and he had 11 turnovers. So people are going to say that saying, well, Luka didn't play very well yesterday and you lost by eight points and you didn't have Porzingis in the second half. That's what I took from it. Porzingis is a big key for what the Mavericks do. If he played, they were up by five when he exited with nine, 10 left in the third quarter. So if he played, there's no reason to think that they couldn't have won this game. And the Clippers did not look very sharp offensively at all. They played way too much ISO ball. There wasn't much ball movement. They really held their hats defensively. Now they did, I think, a very good job on Luka Doncic, despite the fact that he shot 13 for 21 from the floor, two of six from three, and had 42 points. They forced him to have 11 turnovers. The Dallas Mavericks as a team had 21 turnovers. The Clippers had 11. So if you look at that generally, that really was a big difference. Now, the Dallas also had 69 points at halftime and ended the game with 110. So that's a big difference right there, too, right? That's looking at just the willingness to win a game that I was really impressed with. Now, it's not as easy cut and dry as that. It's a little bit harder, I think, at the end of the day to understand what exactly went into why the Clippers won. And I think the reason why Luka Doncic struggled was pretty simple. Now, there's a guy who was talking about on Sirius XM Radio this morning. He was talking about how Luka Doncic struggles when he goes left a lot. Well, the guy didn't realize that Luka likes to drive right more than he does left. If you really watch the game, Luka likes to do a little in and out, hesitation, go between his legs, and try to get to the rim going his right hand. And how he lost the ball was when he drove to the paint, the Clippers would, would dig in from the wings, and they would strip the ball for him. And or the guy like Patrick Beverly who was guarding would strip the ball, right? Because when he's going in the air, he has hands. The Clippers always had their hands somehow involved in the play. And from that perspective, 
that made things a little bit more difficult for them and made things obviously as a result of that more difficult for Luca. Now Luca did have 42 points. So he did perform very well otherwise besides a turnover issue, right? And that thing, and defensively too, he did struggle. Paul George blew by him a bunch of times and that was a big problem. Now the second takeaway I take from the game is the fact that Paul George came up big when it mattered most. He had a big step back three that put them up by eight and he did a great job in the end of the game, him and Kawhi really feeding off each other in the clutch. And that's big for them because if Paul George can play actually like the superstar he is in the playoffs, that can allow them to be a championship-level team. Now, last night, I don't think they looked like that. They were very uncrisp offensively. They looked a little bit rattled. They, they struggled offensively. But now, since they have enough talent defensively, and they're more talented than, than the Mavericks overall, you saw the fact that they can still win a game. But they also, poor thing, didn't play, right? So the third thing I take away is that Dallas could actually make the series more interesting than people think because Luke had a lot of turnovers last night. They, they started the game off horribly down 18-2, to two, and they somehow were winning the game before Porzingis got ejected. And that was, in my opinion, a fault of the refs. The refs really should not have thrown him out. I think that the escalation they talked about was kind of a little bit absurd, in my opinion, just because if you look at that situation – Porzingis was really just like in a little bit of just like trying to get the guys out of the way. It's emotions. It's a chippy game. It's a high-heated playoff game. I don't really see it that way. I think it's a little ridiculous on their part to just judge that. But, you know, the, the refs, they have to make, they make the call at the end of the day. People got to live with that call. And that's really what's going to happen as a result of that. But it's not always ideal that this happens. And that's what's going to happen at the end of the day. Now shifting into the Utah Jazz and Nuggets game. So some stats I got to just take away, jumped off the bat. So for the Nuggets, you had Jamal Murray had 36, Jokic had 29 and 11, and Michael Porter gave you 13 points. But that wasn't the biggest stat line for the night. Donovan Mitchell had 57 points, the third highest points scored in a single game in playoff history. He was 19 of 33 sorry, from the floor. And he shot 13 of 13 from the line. He made six threes. He, he was just unstoppable yesterday. But that's the problem with the Jazz. The Jazz don't have the talent, and they still were in that game. Now, it could show me that the Nuggets are not as good as we think they are, which I think it's one game yet time will tell. But the fact that they were able to win that game is good at all. But if you're saying that, it shows that the Nuggets aren't good. I don't know because it's one game. and Jokic and Murray did show up to play and Porter didn't give you his typical 18 to 20 points. So I, I, the takeaway I really took from that is that the Nuggets are, I think are better than what they showed yesterday. I think the Utah Jazz played as well as you could play and still didn't win. So I think the series will be over in five or six games just because of that, because I don't think Donovan Mitchell is going to score 57 every night. That was a little bit absurd. I think he can give you 30 against the Nuggets. I don't think the Nuggets are a great defensive team, but Torrey Craig is a good defender. So I don't think Torrey Craig is going to allow Donovan Mitchell to score 50 points every time they play. I think Donovan Mitchell had one of those great all-time games, but they still didn't win because they don't have Mike Conley. They don't have boys John Bogdanovich, who was a 19-point-per-game scorer. And that the second-best player they really have on the team yesterday is Rudy Gobert, who's not a very skilled offensive player. He's a great rim protector and a great catch-and-finish big, but he's not a skilled back-to-the-basket, 
face-up type player. He just isn't. And that's, I think, the damage at the end of the day for the Jets. Second thing I took away was that Jamal Murray can consistently be a legitimate option and be a top 25 player in the NBA if he plays like he did yesterday. Now, I'm not saying he scored 36 every night, but if he gives you 25, the Nuggets can be a legit contender in the West. Because I know what you're going to get from Jokic. Michael Porter Jr. will probably give you 13 to 16 points based on how we play. He might play better. I don't know. But you also have guys like Millsap. You're hopefully getting Will Barton and Gary Harris back. But if Jamal Murray can consistently be a very good number two option, the Denver Nuggets are in good shape for maybe contending with the Clippers. I don't necessarily see them beating the Clippers, but I think they can give them a shot at Jamal Murray plays like he just did yesterday. He was really big down the stretch, dominated in overtime. And that was all because of the fact of he was getting his spots well. He would just dribble into those fadeaways. He would read the ball screens well. When guys went under the ball screen, he would shoot the three. And he and Jokic worked well together too because they did a great two-man game off handoffs and stuff like that, which allowed Jamal Murray to get into space where he could operate at his most effective level, which in my opinion is that one dribble pull-up area in the mid-range. I think that's where he's really at his best. And I think for the Denver Nuggets, that's really important going forward. Now, the third game that I wanted to highlight quickly was the Celtics and the 76ers. So the Celtics had big nights from Jalen Brown, who had, he had 15 points in the fourth quarter and 26 overall for the game. Then you have Kemba Walker, who had 11 big points late and also, um, you know, big, yeah, big nights, right? So, you, yeah, sorry, Jalen Brown at 29, Kemba Walker at 19, 11 late. You, you had also the big night from Jason Tatum gave you 32. Again, that's so important for them, right? All you really need from the guards is for them to show up. And they showed up big time last night, did a lot of great things. Jason Tatum in 32 and 13 last night is just showing you his level of exceptionalism. But also the fact that Jalen Brown in the fourth quarter might be the best closer on their team. And I think that's not a hot statement at all. I mean, he had 15 points late, hit big threes when you needed him to make big threes. He got to the rim at will. I mean, he's a very good player, and he's going to be an all-star, I think, in the, in the long run, long haul, because he's pro producing at a high level. And that's really, really important. Now, I think the other thing that people need to generally get understood is that Joel Embiid is a little bit soft. And that's a hot take from some people to say, because you're going to say, well, he had 11 points in the first quarter. He was dominant. He had 26 and 16 yesterday. How's this dude soft? Well, I think it's not because of how physically he plays. I think it's just the fact of mentally how he listens to his coach and how much he really wants to be down the post. What people don't, what he doesn't understand and what people are trying to harp on is the fact that he is so dominant in the post when he gets position in the good areas. Now, the problem is in the post yesterday, he took way too many dribbles, which resulted in turnovers, rather than taking one or two dribbles and going right up with his right-hand jump hook or his fadeaway. That's all he had to do. He was getting guarded by guys smaller than him. If you look at a guy like Porzingis, for example, right, who's not better than Joel Embiid at all in the post. But what, I, what Porzingis does is when he has a smaller guy on, he takes one or two dribbles and shoots right over the top of him. There's no reason why Embiid can't do the same thing. But Embiid wants to wander around the perimeter and allow Tobias Harris and Alec Burks to take over the game, which Tobias Harris only had 15 points yesterday. And Alec Burks played great yesterday with 18. But 
for the 76ers to be in the series, Joel Embiid's got to give you 30 and 15 a night. He's just going to have to do that. And it has to be at least that. 26 and 16, and also just disappearing down the stretch. I don't blame that all on Brett Brown. Actually, I blame part of it on him because I think Brett Brown needs to be tougher on him and yell at him to get down the post and to listen. Now, I think Joel Embiid would have the same problem everywhere he goes because I think Joel Embiid's an immature player because I think he doesn't have a sense of wanting to do what the coach wants him to do. Rather, he wants to kind of just show his diversified skill set, which is fine at some circumstances. But you go to a team like the Boston Celtics where you have a clear advantage in the paint, you really got to take advantage of that matchup. And that's really important because if the Celtics are going to lose this series, it's because Joel Embiid gives them a lot of points. But yesterday, after that first quarter, he kind of faded off. And that's because he just wasn't demanding the basketball. He wasn't being imposing. He wasn't being dominant. And, and, what, and these are not just, you know, generalized statements. Look at his at points per game per quarter. And, he, he, you know, he just he, – he had a lot of turnovers. He just had a lot of dumb plays. He tried to drive on the guys a couple of times. It just made no sense. Shot too many threes. He made some plays that just didn't really make any sense to me either. You know, he got fouled a couple of times. But I'm kind of sitting there, you know, even with these rebounds. There was a big rebound, I think, with off a missed free throw by Alec Burks. And all he had to do was just grab it strong and go right up and dunk it. But he tried playing patty cake to himself, and that resulted in the Celtics getting another possession. Now, I, I, that's the problem with Joel Embiid. Is I just don't know if he has that level of wanting to win. Now, I, I think he's a great player, but I think he's all about himself. I don't think he's about the team. And that's why I got like Jokic, in my opinion, is better than him because I don't think Embiid is a team player. The last thing I'm going to take away from this game is the fact that the Celtics guard play can get them places. Now, I think Toronto is going to win the East, and that's my – that's been my position for the last couple of weeks based on how I saw Toronto in the bubble. But I think the Celtics have the guard play to make things interesting. Now, I think the problem with the Celtics is the fact that they can't really guard big teams and they struggle to rebound. But the one thing they do have is they have Tatum, Brown, and Walker. And now Gordon Hayward's injured now with that sprained ankle. But they have three legit guards and a great defender of Marcus Smart that can at least get them winning the series, I think, in five or six games. Because I don't think the 76ers are good enough to push it farther than that because I just don't believe in Embiid. But I believe in their guards on the Celtics because Tatum just proved last night why he can be a bona fide top 15 to 10 player in this league. Jalen Brown proved why he's an all-star candidate for next year. And Kemba Walker just did Kemba Walker things, even though he's still not 100% healthy. He made big shots when he needed him to in his first real playoff appearance. And that's so good for the Celtics to see especially with a guy such as Gordon Hayward being out for a while, that's really crucial. Yeah, I think the last thing I'm just going to take away from that game too is the fact that Brett Brown and Joel Embiid just don't work. And people are all going to blame everything with Joel Embiid on Brett Brown. I don't see it only that way. I think Brett Brown needs to be harder on him. That's where Brett Brown needs to be better about maybe just getting in the post more or whatever. But also it's Embiid's willingness to do it. Now, I think that Brett Brown was probably harping on them getting in the post more. But the problem is, Embiid just doesn't want to do that. Embiid wants to float around the perimeter a lot of times and shoot threes and pull up jump shots because he thinks he's, you know, a shooting guard. And that's what the problem is. Against the Celtics, you can't do that. you got to post up guys. you got to use your size. you got to use your skill, right? And it's not driving to the basket on them because they have a lot of guards there. It's, uh, you have a seven-foot-one guy driving to the basket. It makes no sense. And that's why they don't work because I think Embiid's attitude and Brown's lack of – asserting his dominance over certain players is the reason behind why Embiid doesn't work with Brett Brown. 
Now, last game is with the Toronto Raptors and the Brooklyn Nets. There really isn't a lot of takeaways to take away from this game. Fred Van Fleet had 30 points. They won 134 to 110. They had as big of a 33-point lead. It did get back down to eight. And Karis LeVert struggled. It was 5 or 14 from the floor yesterday. So the takeaways I'm going to take are just these three things, and I'll we'll go into detail about it. It's just that Toronto is my pick to get out of the East. Brooklyn is a hard-fought team that could actually be interesting in the future. And those really are my two takeaways. So the first one is basically that the Toronto is my pick to come out of the East, and that still feels like a confident pick to me. And why that is is because they have a level of continuity and a level of defensive scheme, a great coach, and a willingness to win, and a size problem um, for other teams that I just think that the Bucs will struggle with. I think the Celtics will struggle with in series and that was proven yesterday they just move the ball so well different guys are dominating each night they have three guys you can go to and even at the emergence of Ananobi playing great but they also have Gasol and Ibaka who can give you numbers as well but then defensively they really know how to lock people down I mean again the best player Karis LeVert he really struggled and I don't think Toronto played well well for part of that fourth quarter yesterday and they still came out with a big win so at the end of the day that's really when I go down to it Toronto, as long as they play consistent every day, they, I think they're going to win this series in four or five games. And because I just don't think the Nets are talented enough to win games against Toronto. And I just look like that, that just confirmed my pick about Toronto all, all wrong. Just their level of maturity, their level of, of willingness to win, their alpha dog mentality, all that kind of stuff. And you watched it yesterday. Their defensive schemes, it's a system defense. They have a guy who's, you know, an Ananobi and Lowry and Fenn Fleet and Fleet who can all defend really well. But they have bigs that can stack the paints who are good defenders, but they talk really well defensively. They know how to handle ball screens well. They really pack the paints, and they make you beat them for the three-point range. But they also have long enough defenders to chase out the three-point shooters, which is great for them. Now, I think the problem with the Nets is why I think, like I said, I think they're a very hard-fought team that's got good stuff in the future because they have, again, they have Wilson Chandler. They got Kyrie, KD. Spencer Dinwiddie, all out, right? But the emergence of Karis LeVert is something that I think will be very positive entering the future. Now, on the other side of that spectrum, the issue I have came to is the fact that they're just not talented enough, right? They're not going to beat the Raptors. But the problem I also think is, how are you going to get the right coach to mesh all these guys together when they come back? Because I think they have a really good hope for the future, but it's going to take a really certain level of coach. And maybe Jock Vaughn's that guy. I hope he is for them, but I don't know because it's, you're messing a lot of personalities when they come back. Kyrie's a, per, a really personality issue. KD's has an ego because he's a great player, right? But it's going to be interesting to mess those two guys here because Kyrie is a hard guy to work with based on just what he's done with the Celtics. He was a hard guy to work with. Even with the Cavs, he's a little bit hard to work with too. LeBron can manage him, but you need, to, you need a coach that's going to be able to deal with that and be able and want to be able to deal with that. So – at the end of the day, that's really where I go with all these games. And tonight, obviously, we have the big games coming up, too. We got Milwaukee and Orlando, Houston and OKC, Miami and Indiana, and then the Lakers in Portland. And I will be back tomorrow to discuss those. And I thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys all have a good day, and thank you for joining in.